So, this is the self-development with tactics. Book. So, today we're gonna go ahead with this um, dating slash relationship slash whatever book and today we're gonna finish up with it and I, I don't know, there's gonna be something else afterwards just because I'm gonna be way too fast. I guess so there's actually not that much left as I see, so I could have actually kind of finished it up the last time, but yeah, anyway. Reader's note, this is really interesting. In order for us to exist, there needs to be a third outside of us to create the dynamic. In order to have a team, you need an opponent. Many of our inquiries hover at the border between intimacy and intrusion. We want to know, but we don't want to be too obvious. We say that we ask because we care, but often it is because we are afraid. So we set up rules and hope our partner will comply. And in this way, we preemptively secure faithfulness by keeping a tight leash. Desire is insubstantial. Ordinate. Actions are subskeptical to reason and so are easier to control. When we validate one another's freedom within the relationship, we are less inclined to search for it elsewhere. Yes. Big, big, amazingly important point that I have also seen in uh, in my relationship indeed. Uh, I don't know, like give yourself freedom, give the other person freedom. Yes, the other person has a life themselves. Yes. The other person also wants something to do with their friends, you know, they need their friends and, and whatnot. Like, there's so many different things where freedom really plays a key role, I would say. And and I would, and, um, you know, and I think so. So it definitely would be something that I would tell everybody that is going into a new relationship for the first time and maybe or whatnot. I would just really tell them just... Take care of your own freedom and be fine with the other person's freedom. If the other person just wants to do this and that instead of whatnot, then yeah, it is fine. You know, I don't know. Like, it is a difficult thing, though. It really is. You know, because, of course, um, there might be some jealousy and there might be some problems because of because of this um, generating of freedom if it is only one-sided, you know. But But yeah. The sire is insubordinate. Actions are susceptible to reason and so are easier to control. When we validate one another's freedom within the relationship, we are less inclined to search for it elsewhere. In this sense, inviting the third goes some way towards containing its volatility, not to mention its appeal. When we call that, when we can tell the truth safely, we are less inclined to keep secrets. Yes, if you know that the other person is gonna really really be mad i don't know like it just makes sense that that you're not gonna say anything even though it is bad and even though it is just really not something that we or anybody should be doing recognizing the third hesitant has a tendency to add spice because it reminds us that we do not own our partners and yes once we don't have them it's gonna be a fucking bullshit situation it's gonna be not easy it's gonna be fucking hard we should not take them for granted. Definitely not. And please don't do this with anything in your life. You know, with food, with your health, all relationships, not only love relationships, but also the relationship with your friends and with your family. And all of these things, just don't take anything for granted. It's one of the just biggest mistakes, at least at my point of view, we as human beings can make. 
and not just think, okay, this is just something that is supposed to be there that way and stuff like that. But but no, it is not. You know, it could also be completely the opposite. It could be just something completely different. So um, no, you know, you don't have to be in this position. You don't have to have this. You don't have to be this person and all of these things. Um, in uncertainty lies the seed of wanting. In addition, when we establish psychological distance, we too can peek at our partner with the admiring eyes of a stranger, noticing what habit has prevented us from seeing. Finally, renouncing others reaffirms our choice. We admit our roving desires yet push them back. Acknowledging the third has to do with validating the erotic separateness of our partner. It follows that our partner's sexuality does not belong to us. The more we choke each other's freedom, the harder it is for desire to breed in a committed relationship. Yeah, quite. The hormonal cocktail of romance, dopamine, nor uh, norepinephrine or something and PEA is known to last no more than a few years at best. Oxytocin, the cuddling hormone, outlasts them all. The fruits of this ripening love, companionship, deep Respect, mutuality, and care are considered by many to be a fair trade for erotic heart or heat. If attraction and desire were the central actors in your courtship, now they retreat backstage to make way for the main act. I just ha- I just had to think about something. I'm very sorry. Um, yeah, I think so. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Domestic eroticism is wrapped in a veil of appropriateness. Any experience of love holds a dimension of dependency. In fact, dependence is an essential ingredient of connection, but it is a producer of terrific anxiety because it implies that the one we love wields power over us. This is the power to love us, but also abdon us. Fear of judgment, rejection and loss is embedded in romantic love. Sexual rejection at the hands of the one we love is particularly hurtful. Yes, it is. Uh, We are therefore less inclined to be erotically adventurous with the person we depend on for so much and whose opinion is paramount. It is no surprise that some of us can freely engage in the perils and adventures of sex only when the emotional stakers are lower. We are less afraid to lose love. It's not that romance necessarily fades over time, but it does become riskier. When our desires are not fulfilled, we are disappointed. But fulfilled desires carries its own brands of loss. Getting what we want undermines the thrill of wanting it, the deliciousness of yearning, the elaborate strategies of pursue, and the charged fantasies. It's remarkable how a sudden threat to the status quo An affair, an infatuation, a prolonged absence, or even a really good fight can suddenly ignite desire. There's nothing like the fear of loss to make those old old shoes look new again. Spontaneity is a myth. You have to own your desire and passion. Committed sex is intentional sex. Planning creates anticipation, and anticipation implies we are looking forward to something. It is an important ingredient in desire. Planning for sex helps to generate desire. Even though I'm not so sure about that. I'm not sure about planning that. Um, you know what? Well, yeah, I, I get it. You know, when I'm planning for 
um, tomorrow my bike tour, tomorrow my cheat day actually, which I'm having very prominent in my head as, I don't know, sad or whatnot as it might sound, but I really am looking forward to it every single fucking time. And every single fucking time I'm eating way too much and really feel like throwing up. It's not nice, it's not amazing, but it is what it is. So yeah, I maybe it's the same thing, I don't know. But I really have a feeling that I have to talk to this person um, once again and, I don't know, ask what the problem was actually and what really wasn't working and um, maybe also what she thinks about all of these things because I feel really good about these things. I I really feel good and I also see like all the mistakes that I made and or that that we made maybe and I really feel like that, I, I actually feel like that this is a good book, like in the past few episodes or in the past two episodes that I've been recording featuring this book, I didn't get much out of it. I don't know what it was because of me not being able to really think. Maybe it was due to something else or just, you know, outside of my condition and whatnot. But I now feel like today that it is a really good book and it really is a good book also for um, making good change, I would say. Longing, waiting, and yearning are fundamental elements of desire that can be generated with forethought even in long-term relationships. Animal have sex. Eroticism is exclusively human. It is sexuality transformed by the imagination. In fact, you don't even need the act of sex to have a full erotic experience. Eroticism is the cultivation of excitement, a purposeful quest for pleasure. Eroticism intervened with imagination is another form of play. Play is an alternative reality midway between the actual and the fictitious, a safe space where we experiment, reinvent ourselves and take chances. Play by definition is carefree and unself-conscious. For the couples who seem to have figured it out, playfulness is central to their relationship and eroticism extends beyond the sexual act. Eroticism is the home requires active engagement and willful intent. It is an ongoing resistance to the message that marriage is serious, more work than play, and that passion is for teenagers and the immature. Closing thoughts. This is one of those rare books where I had to pause between sections and just reflect and digest the different ideas that came up. I felt like I was taking notes at so many different sections in a book. Needless to say, this book was extremely insightful to me. I think this book is applicable to anyone in a romantic relationship or planning to be in one. This is especially applicable to anyone who wants to be in a long-term relationship. We all know that marriage is tough, but we hardly hear advice on how to keep passion and desire high. We mostly hear about intimacy and the depth of a long-committed relationship, which is totally the case. I really appreciate the author's countercultural insights on how to keep desire and eroticism alive based on her extensive experience working with many couples of varying backgrounds and dynamics. I found myself constantly evaluating my own relationships, past and present, though the new lens presented in the book, or through the new lens presented in the book. Warning, this book talks a lot about sex and sexuality, and while I do agree with the author that it shouldn't be something to hide as it is one of the most natural things for us humans it is a touchy subject for many who want to keep matters private due to upbringing culture and society again highly recommend this book for anyone currently in planning to be in a long committed relationship and doesn't want it to end in divorce nutshell why eroticism fades in relationship while intimacy grows over time and how to be proactive in keeping the passion alive and the book was rated five out of five And I don't know, should I end the episode there or should I 
maybe look at the author very quickly. I am I'm gonna do this, yeah. By Esther Perel, which is probably really wrongly pronounced, but I don't care. I just don't. Uh, therapist, author, and speaker. She's actually very beautiful. My god. Actually very beautiful. Fuck man. <laughs> Uh, she was born in Belgium. Wow, Fields Psychotherapy. Is a Belgian psychotherapist of Polish-Jewish descent who uh, has explored the tension between the need for security, love, belonging and closeness and the need for freedom, erotic desire, adventure and distance in human relationships. I do wonder though, I do wonder though whether she, um, whether her relationships are good or not. Because the thing is, uh, being, you know, just <sighs> being able to fix other people's lives is way easier than fixing your own life. Often, really often, because we are really bad at helping ourselves, but we are really good at helping other people. So, yeah. In 2016, Perel was added to Oprah's, Oprah Winfrey's Super Souls 100 list of visionaries and influential leaders. That's uh, amazing podcast. She's also having a podcast. It's amazing. Peril is Jewish, the daughter of two Polish-born Holocaust survivors, which is insane. She was raised in Antwerp, Belgium, and attended the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in Israel. She grew up amongst Holocaust survivors in Antwerp and noted two groups around her, those who didn't die and those who came back to live or to life. She observed that those who didn't die were people who lived tethered to the ground afraid and untrusting the world was dangerous and pleasure was not an option read or listen to man's search for meaning by victor frankl uh, an amazing book he's also a holocaust survivor <laughs> amazing shit what what he's talking about in this book like it is insane what they had to do and what they have experienced and whatnot peril is the host of two podcasts uh, where should we begin and how is work um, where Should We Begin brings the listener inside Peril's therapist office as she sees anonymous couples in search of insight on everything from infidelity to sexlessness to grief. The unique format combines live recordings of the therapy session with Peril's reflection on what she heard and what techniques she tried. The New York Times writes, it feels more like an unraveling mystery story than a relationship advice show. The couples include both heterosexual and same-sex couples. The first episode aired on Audible in May 2017. I do wonder, though, whether you can also find it somewhere else and became publicly available on iTunes, okay, in 2017 in October. How is Work is Peril's second podcast. It follows a format similar to the couples therapy session in Where Should We Begin? But this time, the couples seeking Peril's advice are co-founders or colleagues navigating the challenges that play out in work relationships. HuffPost describes each episode as a one-time therapy session between Parel and various co-founders, members of family, businesses, and partners with a thriving operation. But the orient what uh, deteriorating relations on the job. Very interesting. But anyway, I'm gonna end the episode there. So maybe you actually check out these podcasts as well if you do want to know more on uh, relationship and stuff. And yeah. I'm going to end the episode there. So I wish you the best health, health, happiness, and all success. And also hope that you're going to remind yourself and you're going to be remembered, which basically means yourself. Or no, which basically means not yourself, which basically means just being a nice person. And then also being remembered as a nice person, which is a pretty fucking cool thing. 
Three other th questions that I have for you are why I here, what are you trying to change and what is bothering you the most? These three questions, hopefully are going to show you your purpose and maybe even a business idea, which is, well, a pretty cool thing. One last thing that I always want to talk about is what could you essentially say or communicate, but, you know, just say to another person that is indeed going to change their life, you know, because I believe from the bottom of my heart that we all can say something, that we all can communicate something to another person that is really indeed going to change their life or at least let them feel very, 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 very good for a second, a minute, an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year, just because you said something, one thing. And it is insane. You know, it is insane that we are able to do so. So please think about that and please keep that in mind. And yeah, I'm hopefully going to see you the next time. So bye-bye. Please take care of yourself, your family members and your loved ones. Bye-bye.